Welcome back to another episode of Cranked and Ranked. I'm Steven here, as usual, here with my friend Eddie Sparks, and we are going to be once again tearing into the discography of a particular band. I don't know why I'm trying to be secretive about it. If you look at the title of the of the podcast episode, you know <laughs> <laughs> that, that today we are going to be we're going to be veering off a little bit from the not necessarily off of the mainstream, but off of the the bands that are very well known and shitloads of people love. Now we're kind of taking a little bit of a left turn down down the, the road, and the name of that road is Ugly Kid Joe. And um, so, um, and this is actually, I don't think it's giving anything away to go ahead and tell everyone that this is one of your favorite bands we're going to be talking about today. 100%. And I, I must preface this episode with the fact that Ugly Kid Joe is uh, part of the trio of bands I would consider my joint first. Um, Metallica, Faith No More, and Ugly Kid Joe are my three favorite bands. Uh, it, and it's difficult for me at this point to say which one is the best of them because I love all three equally. That but is with, high praise right there. But So with that, I would like to say that there isn't a single record in Ugly Kid Joe's discography that I don't like a lot like all right all of the records here i am 100 percent all over the only difference is i have varying degrees of love for the records <laughs> all right and, all right and um yeah this is this is definitely this is an album where i sorry this is an, an episode that didn't take me long to write my notes on it i pretty much did it in an afternoon because i know all of the albums pretty much inside out with yeah. the exception of maybe like maybe like the newest one but that's only because i've spent the least amount of time with it sure um which uh leads me into my number six do it, it let's do it it pains me to put any ugly kid joe album at the bottom of anything but uh for the sake of this show i've got to make some sacrifices so uh this album i've you know came out after I got into Ugly Kid Joe, you know, pretty much three years after I properly delved into them, because I actually got into them the same year that Stairway to Hell came out. I, I, you know, that was a really good time to get into Ugly Kid Joe, because it was Which was first... 2012. Yeah. Which For was those the, of you um, who don't know, 2012. Yeah, it was, the, it was the first release in about, what was it, about 16 years? Yeah, uh, yeah, it yeah. Been. Sixteen years since their previous album, so it's probably good to preface this for those who are listening and aren't really uh, fans and don't know much about Ig- Ugly Kid Joe. But they they did start in the early '90s. Well, I guess technically in the late '80s, but their first release came out in the early '90s. Um, but uh, they've you know been going on and off up until you know now even. So uh, so yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to to interrupt, but yeah. <laughs> So we're so we're now talking about an album that that came out later down the line for them. Yeah, it's it's this one came out in 2015, and um, by this point, I was more interested in um, like the kind of glam stuff. 
It, Ugly Kid Joe is a, is a weird one because they have elements of the glam scene, they have elements of the grunge scene, they have elements of the funk metal thing. Ugly Kid Joe is one of those era-defining bands that defies categorization at the same time. I feel like no other band quite um, describes the entire um, plethora of rock music styles during this era quite like ugly kid joe does because they're sort of a mishmash of them all and they there's even a thing there's a part in the song whiplash liquor where they actually say obviously that's not on this album but they say we ain't glam and we ain't thrash suburban white alcoholic trash we ain't glam and we ain't thrash (laughs) (laughs) but they're so good at like everything and so I, I guess I better get into this album and, and why it's at the bottom. You know, this is, is the it? album. What album is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's um, <laughs> uglier than they used to be. So I've spent the least amount of time with this record, but it's great nonetheless. Um, I just have a deeper connection with the rest of the records because they were all around when I got into Ugly Kid Joe three yeah. years, three years prior to this album's release. Um, nevertheless, this is an excellent, um, great modern hard rock take on the band, which, uh, builds off of the sound from Stairway to Hell. Um, it pains me not to give all these records the top spot because I love them all, but this one sits at the bottom solely based on the fact that it came later than the rest of their records and I haven't had in as much time to digest and, and fall in love with this record quite the same. Yeah, so and, if, uh, also this one came out in 2015. I don't know if we mentioned that or not. Yeah. It, it, and it was and their last their last release, their last full album too, so far anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping they bring out another one, but this, this is a great, great record anyway. And um, my first kind of notes uh, on, the, on the first track, Hell Ain't Hard to Find, sounds much like, uh, it's like a beefier version of Learn to Fly, by the Foo Fighters. Well, he even he even rips off a lyric from Learn yeah. to Fly. <laughs> it's, it, and it's like, I, I was going to say, not that this is a rip-off or anything, it just shares a chord sequence, and I, I love the ballsy sound of this song, but this, it, it it must be some kind of, like, homage, like, to to them, if, if, if they well, took it ha- a lyric. It has lyric to be, because he used that line, that looking for a complication or whatever, like, yeah. that's a line straight out of that song, so... I'm assuming it's kind of an homage to them somehow. Yeah, it's 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 a weird one, like because there's always that is there's always that weird thing of when is something like homage and when is something a rip off. But I I feel like this is this is very much its own song because you know after that first bit it goes into that. Yeah, the overall tone of the song I don't think it's ripping anything off. I think they just sort of. It's a little bit of a nod, I guess. Maybe even if yeah. it's that, like I, it might, I might just be coincidental, and then that lyric maybe it might be kind of a nod. But yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give this one the uh, the benefit of the doubt. But um, sure, it, it's very much like that. Um, it's very much like when Radiohead tried to sue um, Lana Del Rey or or something because she used the same chord sequence or something as Creep. And it's, it was it was something like that. I don't know too yeah. much about it, so I, I don't want to delve too deep into that because I feel ugly, ugly Kid I Joe. Feel, yeah, I feel like Ugly Kid Joe are the kind of dudes that if they did, if they were completely 
uh, inspired or influenced by a particular thing, I think that they would be the first to call it out. I don't think it yeah. would be it would be hidden anywhere. Yeah, they've they've always been very um, satirical and kind of on the nose on purpose. Yeah, and and I feel like that kind of snotty bratty humor is is you know evident in the band's packaging and image and and general sound really because it, it's it's very much like um it's kind of like an early 19 early 90s fans dream this band and i feel like they deserve way more recognition because sure the albums they made are just so good and and don't get nearly enough recognition for what they they get but yeah i'm, I'm gonna go into the track by track of this bad boy cool so um bad seed follows up a great riff with an even heavier one uh great groove on this one uh oh sorry i, ju- I jumped past um you let, the let the record play, play. let the re- this is a great start isn't it <laughs> okay so it can't all be perfect yeah <laughs> so i've got here let the record play has a bitchin riff and a great chorus it's a more mature sound from the band but it hits just as hard and then, as I said, Bad Seed follows up a great riff with an even heavier one. Mm-hmm. Great, gr- great groove on that track. Um, Mirror of the Man is um, is exactly what I'd expect as like kind of a fourth track. It's slower and quieter with like a more acoustic focus. It's almost I like l- a slow burn. That's yeah, yeah. And you know, I I like it. It's this. Um, I I get the feeling that ever since they did No One Survives on um, Stairway to Hell. They've kind of been playing with a few more like acoustic sections. I mean, obviously they'd had parts like that before, but these specifically dark-sounding acoustic sections that are quite prominent on this album. Totally. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool track. Um, She's Already Gone starts off quietly before exploding with this awesome alt metal riff it kind of like it takes you off guard after the chill fourth track um it's, it's yeah. one of them and it's and it's one of the most modern sounding tracks they've ever made it's it, it actually might be my favorite on the record too because it's very it's the it's very well written but also it's got a strange like my some of my favorite things about ugly kid joe are the fact that they sometimes will surprise you with an emotional track yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, and and that's what this one—the feel of it, not just in the lyrics, but also in the the vocal melody that he sings. Uh, Whitfield Crane, by the way, we should go ahead and start heaping praise on that guy. Oh <laughs> because, yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> not only is he a beautiful man, but also he's an amazing vocalist, and so um, yeah, he's fucking um, but awesome. Yeah, but yeah, what he does on that song, it brings a really sort of. Uh, deep emotional quality and for some reason that really sticks out on this album yeah and it's it really is um like it it does have that like kind of snotty bratty kid aesthetic with a lot of their heavier songs but then when you get one like this it kind of takes you off guard and you're like holy shit these guys can actually yeah these guys can really play and and um yeah and then going into another um dark kind of acoustic one we've got nothing ever changes and that one has another quiet start with a dark acoustic sound and some nice lead guitar going on in the background too. I love I love this song. Uh, I feel like after recording No One Survives on the Stowe EP, they just really fell in love with these dark acoustic moments. It's, it's just such a... It's, it's a distinctive thing that I feel like only modern Ugly Kid Joe 
really brings to the forefront with these last two releases. Yeah. And then um, if I had to say the most classic Ugly Kid Joe sounding track on the record is probably My Old Man. And it's it's got that like kind of classic hard rock feel. And it's got the sleazy lyrics that, you know, were, would have been more present on earlier Ugly Kid Joe. And the lead guitar parts are really cool. Um, and the song develops throughout. Kind of, It's a little bit like Thunderstruck in the way it just like builds up more parts going through. Yeah. And I've, I really like that about that song. And then, ooh, we got a good one. I've got... Um, just before I mention how good this song actually is, I feel like my main gripe with this album is that a lot of the songs feel like they have the same intro. Like, yes. ha- like are, you, it, are, did, you, are you about to talk about Under the Bottom? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, did you notice has, this as well? It has, the, it has the exact same melody and rhythm and strumming as Helly and Hard to Find, only with one note different. Yeah. It's, it's even almost the same tempo. So is, that that's something that always kind of annoyed me because I'm like, you guys didn't fucking notice that, yeah. <laughs> like because it's so it's so similar that it ruins it for me a little bit. So yeah, um, it, yeah, it's just it's just one of those odd things that you know eventually when the song gets going I can forget about, but like that initial thing I think wait has the album ended already and it's on repeat, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and. You know, even in Nothing Ever Changes, you know, that one's got a similar kind of, you know, it's not in the same key and it, it and that one is different, but it's still a variation on that kind of thing at the beginning. And, and yeah, I, f- I feel like they overused that. It, that's my only gripe on this album is, is the overuse of that intro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like a lot of this album has has a quiet, clean start as well for most of the songs. Like if 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 you go through it, if you like skip through the tracks, a lot of the tracks start quietly. Yeah, it makes me feel like maybe they wrote the songs on acoustic guitar or something. Like maybe yeah. they were songs <laughs> that became electric versions down the line somewhere. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule that out at all. And um, so yeah, under the bottom though, regardless, I think it is one of the album's strongest. You know, it's, it was a single. And, you know, especially that harmonized metal riff at the end, it's almost like um, Maiden-esque with its harmony. And I just yeah. thought, that was re- I thought that was really cool. And it's not something we usually get from Ugly Kid Joe because they were never, you know, you had the odd moment, but they never fully went into like the Dungeons and Dragons-y kind of goofy 80s metal tropes. But if they did, like say in the midsection of Goddamn Devil, where they do that like kind of riff. Yeah. That isn't something they they did too often, but when they did break it out, they were kind of taking the piss. But yeah, and then you've got um, Ace of Spades, awesome, faithful cover of the Motorhead classic. Um, the Enemy does about five minutes of emotional acoustic stuff before exploding into full-on punky metal mode in the last minute of the song that's that's a definite slow burner that explodes and lastly um papa was a rolling stone features australian rock singer dallas frasca and she's just this this song is badass rock and roll and all in all it's a strong album only pushed downward by the strength of other albums here 
with my only real gripe about that album is the overuse of the same intro. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. And I, I guess the inclusion of two cover songs though, also is kind mm. of a downer for this album too, because they, they're, they're known for including covers at times, but um, I don't know, for some reason I'm like, well, you did one. Why, why did you do two? I almost feel like, um, Ace of Spades is not even necessary because so many people have covered that. It's almost just like, really? Why Why even do it? Why not just play yeah. it live or something? But I guess they did get Home Dude from Motorhead on the on the song. Um, yeah. I don't, remember, I don't remember which guy. Not Lemmy, but um, I don't remember who's on it. One of the Motorhead dudes is on it. Yeah, I've completely blanked. I'm going to kick myself for not knowing it, but that's all right. Yeah. This isn't the this isn't the Motorhead um, uh, discography yet. <laughs> right on. So, do you want to do your uh, number six? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so my number six, uh, it comes in where you came in with the band. It's the 2012 EP "Stairway to Hell." Oh. Um, and um, so, so it, it's probably important to point out that that Ugly Kid Joe have only put out um, four full-length albums over, mm. you know, from 1991 until 2015 when their last one came out. And then the other two things they put out were EPs. And when they put out Stairway to Hell in 2012, it had been 16 years since their last album, which was Motel California. And this was the same lineup, which that's kind of cool when there's a huge yeah. break in time, but all the same dudes come back together. That's, that's always, it's always the mark of like, you feel that they really wanted to do it because you know, all of the dudes were there. Um, but I have to say the reason why this comes in at number six is because it, it feels like something is missing. Every time I listen to this EP, I wish it was something else and I can't, I can put my finger on a few things, but the biggest thing for me is the fact that the the songwriting on it, it almost, you could have played it for me and said, hey, this is a different band that Whitfield Crane sings for. And I would have, I would totally been, yeah, I hear that because the, uh, the songs, um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this out there, even though I'm just starting with this one um, EP that, once they reformed, it almost feels like they left behind a good amount of the adventurousness and the uh, kind of um, easygoing, we don't give a fuck kind of attitude. It, it seems they're very more focused and direct and and I don't know. I, I mean, I guess they're older dudes, so I have to I have to um, take that into consideration as well. But. Um, this EP overall just feels a little bit uninspired. Even the title of the EP, I'm like <laughs> stairway to hell. That's all you had. Um, and, and not, not to, not to say that their other album titles were really deep jokes. They were always really kind of dumb plays on t different titles, you know, minister sobriety and America's least wanted. They didn't dig too deep with their humor, but stairway yeah. to stairway to hell is like, is that a combination of stairway to heaven and highway to hell? If it's a stairway, how's it going to hell? And then wouldn't it go, I guess you're going down the stairs. It's, it's one of those things which just like <laughs> this album title is not good enough for all these questions. Um, <laughs> but there's, but it's once again, like, like uh, Eddie pointed out, um, it's, 
everything that Ugly Kid Joe put, has put out is enjoyable in in some way or another. And songs like I'm All Right are, you know, pretty good. They're, you know, enjoyable songs. I have to admit that the second half of Stairway to Hell is actually more more enjoyable to me than the first. Um, it's it's a little bit more fun. And I think that yeah. that's kind of, that's what I want out of Ugly Kid Joe. Even though I mentioned earlier, I do like it when they hit you with an un- unexpected emotional song or an acoustic one or some genre that you didn't expect. I do really want there to be fun in their music because that's, like I'm somebody that got into Ugly Kid Joe when they came out. And so I hold a lot of the older things very close to my heart. And so I like the the wackiness of it. And I yeah, you know, I, I always want a little bit more. It doesn't have to be in every song, because I like that they don't do it in every song. But with this one, it just seems like it's overly serious, I guess. Um, but I do think that part of the issue also is we're missing the nineties production. And so I feel like if stairway to hell had 1992 production, I might enjoy it a lot more, but it it feels very claustrophobic in the way that it's produced, especially, I mean, I listen to things on headphones a lot. And so um, it's very easy, I guess, to feel claustrophobic when you have these two big old things covering your ears, but Um, not all albums sound that way. So clearly there was something going on with the production. And I do believe that what's his name from ugly kid Joe produced this, right? What's it? Uh, who's the guy that does the production? Is it Dave Fortman? I think it is Dave Fortman. Yeah. Um, So overall, really the, the big takeaway with stairway to hell is the fact that it's an EP after 16 years of not putting anything out. And as we'll talk about later, their very first release was an EP where they absolutely fucking nailed it. So the fact that they yeah. come back with an EP and it's kind of like, oh, all right, it's very disappointing. Um, and so that's why it's here. Uh, number six. Over to you. I'm going to go ahead and fo- I'm going to go ahead and follow that one up with uh, my number five, which is Stairway to Hell. Hey, now. I put this one above um, uglier than they used to be um, because it came out when I got into them. So that this was essentially like my equivalent. Sorry, this was essentially my equivalent of what as ugly as as they want to be would have been to you. Totally. So um, I suppose at the time I was still, you know, my rock fandom was still in its infancy i was i was only like two years deep into being into like rock and metal so i still hadn't matured yet as a listener to the point where i really noticed diff too many differences and stuff oh i i just kind of knew um that sounds old that sounds new but uh my ear for production as i began to find out what things did and how different effects work and you know different things and processes and how albums have been produced over time and what fell out of fashion and what stayed in and this came out for me at exactly the right time because it reassured me that ugly kid joe was still going strong they'd just come back and i was like and i was like oh no way i just got into this band that's only just returned so i don't that's always really nice Like I've, I've, I've gotten into some bands later on down the line and it's always nice to be like, this band's great. What happened to them? Oh shit. They reformed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's always great. It's always nice to see that a band kind of got their shit together and reformed and, 
you know, Ugly Kid Joe with this album or this EP rather, um, it's it's a modern take on their sound. I will admit, I do agree that it does at points sound a little bit too serious for Ugly Kid Joe's kind of brand, but um, I feel like they tried. Um, you know, obviously they're older dudes, so they might want to do something with a little more depth um, while still having that um, veneer of Ugly Kid Joe um, on it. And I'll go into like a kind of track by track on this one. And, you know, Whitfield Crane specifically is channeling some inner Bon Scott energy on this bad boy because he sounds very... On that first track for sure. Yeah, he, he, he sounds very much like... I remember when I heard it for the first time, I was like, is this the same singer? Because he sounds yeah. a lot like Bon Scott at points on this record. Well, that very um, first track, if you listen to it, it sounds like he's deliberately doing a Bon Scott impression on the verses and an Ozzy Osbourne impression on the choruses. Yeah, yes. So. I, w- I would agree. And that, that, that again, is like, a, like an homage to their heroes. and Sure. Um, devil's paradise to me feels like a much better version of um modern motley crew <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you make me sick is a kick-ass fuck you kind of song great to listen to if someone's actingly pissing actively pissing you off you know i i had a lot of people at the time this came out that were winding me up because i was in i was in high school and, oh yeah uh, you, you all know what that's like so <laughs> and then um, no one survives is like the i i noted that it's a uniquely dark song from ugly kid joe but yeah. I, I really like it and it's and it's one of those surprise tracks that catches you off guard like we've mentioned um but yeah this is a dark modern hard rock blast of awesome in my opinion with one of the coolest modern hard rock riff breakdowns in the middle with that like descending pentatonic thing i just thought that was awesome and you know re-listening to this reminded me of how much this um actually means to me as as an ep and i totally forgot i had this in my collection but i actually have a signed um vinyl of this ep um when i went to um see them in 2013 so that's that's really cool is it the one that's um, got the actual highway to hell style cover on the front of it yeah yeah that's the one yeah yeah, and it's uh, what is it? I remember that that same night I got to meet um, Sonny Mayo, the standing guitarist, um, mm-hmm. who who was also from a band called Snot, and they're cool as well. But it's like I was so honored to be able to meet one of the members of Ugly Kid Joe that night because I was like I didn't expect this to happen, and I just yeah. walked away with a vinyl and I met one of the dudes, and it was it was an awesome night. You know, it was, it was a great night for me and. Um, just going back into the tracks, you know, it, like you say, with the second, I will say that the second half um, of this song, did, did I forget one? Oh, I forgot to write down notes for one of the tracks. Um, I'm All Right is, is the one I forgot to jot down. But yeah, yeah. I'm All Right and um, Love Ain't True and Another Beer have more of an Ugly Kid Joe feel than the first three tracks do. And I I do one hundred percent get what you mean, because they're they're a lot more lighthearted. You know, I'm all right. It's just that you know I'm fine. You know, my life's falling apart, but I'm fine. I yeah. just drink. Um, 
you know, love ain't true. It features members of Fishbone and indulges in, in that funky side that the band dabbles in from time to time. And the horns really complement that. And the, the, I have to, I have to, to, to step in and say that the, those, in my opinion, are some of the most poorly recorded horns I've ever fucking heard. Oh, <laughs> like oh yeah. They, they, yeah. I don't know what they did to them, but it sounds... It, it something sounds so unnatural and kind of grating about them, yeah. And I don't think that was in, on purpose, but um, I I don't mean to talk so much shit about the production on this, but it <laughs> <laughs> it isn't great. I mean, I guess can 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 compared to a lot of things that are done in the modern era, it, it sounds pretty damn good. So you know, yeah. I th- I think as well for me, this album came out at a time when I didn't really know what production was, so I've kind of got this. Um, I love it regardless mindset when it comes sure. to this thing because you know I was I was 14 I still had I still had a lot to learn about um production and how music is actually made and shit you know I just kind of thought people walked into a room and then someone pushed a bunch of buttons and made the and album they all, they, they all gathered around one microphone <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah it's it's that like cute little naive mindset you have when you're a kid just getting into music that I feel like makes you closer to the music it's it's more of a pure less critical kind of mindset i feel yeah. like everyone when they get into music eventually reaches a point where they are like aware of how things are done and stuff but there's there's something beautifully bliss and ig- ignorance is bliss about like the first few years of being a rock fan for me because I, I also just... i think it, i think that when out al- when albums are important in your life the way they sound is a character in the album and it becomes an important part of the album, which is why I always, you know, get been out of shape about remixes and remasters and stuff. Because, you know, if, if you're changing the way an important album to me sounded, even slightly, I'm just like, no, I liked it how it was. And, yeah. and so this, this one would be one for you and, you know, in your case. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, you know, this, this will always be, what it is to me and and this this was like my era of ugly kid joe so to speak when i first came along yeah to, well to, to them and the special edition i wanted to note has three extra acoustic versions of songs and you've got no one survives would you like to be there and um cats in the cradle which are also um they're nice they're nice versions nice versions of the songs but um, yeah, I'm, I won't bother doing a track by track on them because I'll get into the actual versions of them later. Yeah, totally. Cool. But yeah, that, that's that's my that's my take on Stairway to Hell. You know, it's, I've I do understand that there are things wrong with the production, but I, it just has such a nostalgic connection with me that uh, it doesn't bother me. Sure. So so you and I have our sixes and fives trans transposed. Is that the word? Um, yeah. my number, my number five is, is uglier than they used to be from 2015, their most recent release and their last full length album. Um, and so this is still the same, you know, uh, a menace to sobriety lineup. Like this lineup started on the album menace to sobriety, which we'll get to. And then they broke up in, I guess, 97 and then reformed. And then they, they're still, well, that's the weird thing is that, they, to me, as much as they seemed like cool dudes who were kind of goofballs and and didn't take themselves too seriously, it seemed like, for the most part, they, 
I, at least I haven't heard a whole lot of story about what happened in the interim, you know, between, because yeah. I know Whitfield, Whitfield did other projects and stuff like that, but it almost feels like the, it's like a lost period where like there's, you know, nobody talks about it. And I guess that's, that's the problem when you really are into a band that isn't a huge worldwide successful band, because if you are, then there's tons of books written. There's tons of interviews. There's tons of shit for you to dig into and you can figure out, you know, everything that happened to the band down to what they had for breakfast one day, you know? And so, (laughs) but in ugly kid Joe's case, they broke up and it was, you know, 16 years or whatever. And then all of a sudden they came back and there, and it was like, Oh, it's great. They're back. What the fuck happened? And there, there hasn't been a whole lot of what the fuck happened information out there. Um, because I, I assumed that they were all friends and then they all, I guess, just went their separate ways. Well, we'll get there because we're not talking about the album around that time yet. We're talking about uglier than they used to be, but it's important to note that it's the same lineup, um, that started in 95, I believe. Yeah. Still, still together. And so uglier than they used to be to me is an improvement from stairway to hell in both songwriting and production. And um, it has a little bit of a classic feel. It, it helps that the artwork harkens back to the As Ugly As They Wanna Be EP, which was their debut in 91. Um, and really with this one, I think when it came out, I listened to it a lot. And it was one of those things where when I first heard it, I had the same reaction that I had to Stairway to Hell, which was I was like, oh, it's... There's too much seriousness here. There's not enough variety. It's not as adventurous as they used to be. <laughs> Maybe that should be the album title. Yeah. Not as adventurous <laughs> as they used to be. Not as adventurous. <laughs> there was English words in there somewhere. Um, so, but I found myself going back to it over and over again. And I was like, this, okay, this is, this, that means this is a good album because I keep coming back to it. And so I figured that once I accepted that Ugly Kid Joe were now mature older men and the mature older manness is coming across in their songwriting. Once I was okay with that, then it became a very enjoyable album for me. Um, it's, it's fucking solid as hell. It's, I don't know, great performances. Um, so the big thing that, that like, I, I, I re I like the band as a whole, but, I'll say it over and over again for every album I talk about. The the big thing for me is Whitfield Crane because I do think that he has such he's such a strong vocalist. Yeah. He seems to me like the kind of guy that could be a Mike Patton if he wanted to be. Yeah. If he wanted to do freaky weird shit, he would be able to nail whatever it is he wanted to do. And he sounds really great on this album. And um Really, the, the, the interesting thing about these two albums that we're talking about is, to me, it's almost like when I was trying to put together my list, it feels almost like Stairway to Hell and Uglier Than They Used to Be are number 10 and number 9, and then we skip down to 4, 3, 2, 1, because I feel like there is a big gap in how I feel about the releases. Um, and, and I guess part of it is because I do miss the sort of off the wall nature that they did in the older stuff. But like I said, they're older guys now. Um, so that's why these albums are, are five and six for me because they're, it, it, 
I love that they're still doing stuff and I hope they continue to do stuff. And if they ever in, if they ever again decide to tour in America, <laughs> which they don't do, <laughs> um, I would happily go see them. But, um, but yeah, I do hope that if they put something else out that they find a little bit of that weird sprinkling of variety. Cause I, I, I do, I agree with you. It's cool when you have a song that starts off one way and then they bust into some metal riffs or whatever it is they're doing. But the cool stuff about their, the cool stuff, the cool thing about their older stuff is that it would be a, a complete song. A complete yeah. song would be a, a, a particular vibe or sometimes it would be many vibes in one song. And so, um, yeah, I could go on and on about that. So, but there's, that's literally kicking a dead horse or whatever they say. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, uh, uglier than they used to be is my number five. So over to you, sir. Okay. So I, I would hazard a guess that our four is possibly the same. I knowing, knowing what I know, now that you like like the kind of i don't know how to put it because the, the rest of these 90s albums they do all have that same kind of different vibes and stuff on the songs so i'm going to go ahead and say my number four is motel california all right uh this is the last of their original 90s run released uh just a year after menace to sobriety um, I feel like this one, I, I remember reading somewhere that they kind of rushed this one out in an effort to kind of maintain relevance or something. But, um, you know, there's some strong material here with, you know, maybe a little bit of filler sprinkled in. But in fairness, not too much, in my opinion. You know, this is an underappreciated album. Um, it's got an excellent opening track with It's a Lie. Funky, badass, hard rocking song you know, with a rappy kind of vocal in the verse and Whitfield's um, gritty rock voice in the chorus and the drum fill with the vocals like, you try to break me down, you try, you try to make me one of you, motherfucker. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of, they use rhythm. This is like the most like rhythmically locked in album that they that they did. Yeah, which makes me feel like perhaps they'd been paying attention to kind of like the new metal thing a little bit. So they were kind of like trying to inject a little bit of contemporary influence into this one. Possibly, yeah. But um, I, f I feel like um, that there, that, you know, that you tried to bring me down section, I spent um, hours making sure I learned all the words to that on the bus, you know, going to and from school for like a whole week, listening to that song on repeat, just making sure that I had exactly the right words so I could kind of mouth it to myself while I was on the bus while no one was looking. So yeah. I, was, I was like, whenever I nailed it, I would secretly have a little moment to myself where I'd be like, yes, you fucking did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it was almost like a tongue twister, but kind of not. But um I love this song. It's a great way to open the record. And then um, Dialogue, the second track, lends itself to a grungier kind of alt-rock sound, which at this point in the 90s, you know, you're talking 1996, it was very popular. And I feel like Ugly Kid Joe did well on this track to do that kind of style justice. Um, Sandwich, in my opinion, is a weak track. I don't. What? I don't. She was a good witch. She was a bad witch. I, I, and all I really wanted was a motherfucking, motherfucking sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> it's, like I, I feel like I feel like I have been a little harsh on this track, but you know, 
it almost, I remember the first time I heard it, especially with like a fish over here, a fish over there. <laughs> it was almost like, I don't know if I was like taking myself too seriously when I was listening to this song, but it almost sounded a little too goofy for Ugly Kid Joe. Like it, I don't it was, know. I, I, I'm wrapping my head around the fact like. It's do, fun. Yeah. Also, this, this, this is one of those, if you have a pretty good car stereo and you crank it up when you're driving and the way the starts and the stops are so fucking tight, it's all, oh, it's like, yeah. it's really good. It's a real driving energetic tune. It is, but it's yeah. just got silly lyrics, but you know, good, good. Why not? <laughs> You know, you know, now you said that, perhaps I was perhaps I have been analyzing this song through too much of a too much of a serious lens cuz I've all, I've just always go, kind just of next had that time thing. next time you're having a couple pints, like have a couple and then put on some headphones and crank that song and you're going to you'll feel it. <laughs> that that is going to be that's going to be my little thing after a sh- after a shift at work this week. I'm right, going to cool. come I'm going to come home with a couple with a couple of my favorite beers. And I'm just gonna neck them and then listen to this, and you know it'll probably enhance the experience because you know Ugly Kid Joe and alcohol go very well together. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very, that should literally be the the tagline for the band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we go great with beer. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, at the time it struck me as a weak track, but now I'm remembering it. It is catchy and it is it is fun. So it does it does fit like. It was also doing that funk metal thing at a time where funk metal was kind of on its way out. Like things had started to transfer over to new metal at this point. And well, I think it's not that far removed from like your Limp Biscuit kind of thing. It's it's yeah. got that same vibe. So I don't I don't I feel I don't know. It, it just feels the fact that the band had already dabbled in funky stuff. A song like this didn't sound like them trying to jump on any you know, any, uh, whatever you call it, bandwagon or whatever. Yeah. You know, again, I think, you know what? I, I have been too harsh on this. I'm <laughs> You're so, wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sandwich. <laughs> I'm sorry, sandwich. I'll give you another go. Um, but yeah, they, like, they, they, there's a video for that one too, which is, which as far as I know, they made, I think two video, two or three videos for this album and none of them came out. I don't think, I think they were all, they all were just shelved. And then yeah, eventually, they, I mean, you can watch them on YouTube now. Yeah, they were eventually re, uh, leaked in the mid two thousands, as far as I recall, because they did one. They did one for Sandwich, and they did one for Bicycle Wheels. I don't yep. know if they did a third one, but um, um, I feel like they did. But I no, I think maybe I'm thinking of Menace to Sobriety. But yeah, yeah, I think it's just two off this one. Yeah, I feel like this um, this whole album got kind of a raw deal because. It, it didn't really get much coverage and I it feel got like no it, coverage it, here. Yeah. I feel like it deserved, it deserved a lot more airplay. Cause I feel like, you know, perhaps the uh, single choices were a little strange, but you know, um, rage against the answer machine is an interesting, like interlude kind of song. And it's got kind of a thrash background with, yeah. um, answering, answering machine messages that they received over the top of it. And it's, isn't it, isn't it all just somebody, somebody trying to contact Whitfield to tell him that he has his jacket or something? Like I can't, I've always yeah. had a hard time hearing it, but it's like the dude yeah. keeps calling him over and over again. <laughs> yeah. All right. Come on, Whit. I got your jacket or whatever he says. Yeah. 
And it's it's an interesting concept because I don't you know that's I'd say this is the band's most experimental album. Like because they 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 kind of there's a lot of tracks on here with completely different vibes. Yeah. And um, leading into track five, you got "Would You Like to Be There." Now this is one of my favorite Ugly Kid Joe songs. Yeah, it's great. Chi- it's chilled out but anthemic at the same time and it's one of the album's best tracks and i describe this song as best enjoyed with a beer and a sunset you know <laughs> yeah you know this this is this is exactly that kind of song and then um little red man which features lemmy from motorhead um though i always struggled to pick him out for some reason until i realized like years later oh he's singing the little red man bit at the end because he oh, okay. um yeah because whitfield crane sings most of it and then there's that part with lemmy on it and i for years i was like where the hell is lemmy i'm trying to hear him <laughs> and then i so, realized oh he only has one part since you bring up lemmy that is one thing i know about the interim between this album and them getting back together is that whitfield crane toured with motorhead a lot really? like he yeah apparently from what i gathered he just came along like to travel and help out because he loved motorhead so much that's why like i don't know if you ever saw it but at lemmy's uh wake or whatever whitfield speaks he's one of the speakers at the wake yeah and it's and it's because he had such a a big relationship with motorhead and with lemmy and I think it's from what I gathered, it was literally because he was such a big fan and he had really nothing going on. And he was just one of those guys that like, you know, I'm, I'm a musician and I'm used to traveling. I'm going to go travel and help out one of my favorite bands. And so that's what he did for years. That's, you know, that's really cool to hear that kind of story, too. Yeah. And um, while, while we're on the subject of um, Lemmy and Whitfield Crane, um, you know, the movie Airheads. Yes, I do. The, the Another one of my favorites. The the soundtrack to that has a song on it with... Um, Born Motor- to raise hell! Yeah. Born to raise hell! <laughs> it's got... Um, who's it got on? It's got Whitfield Crane, obviously Motorhead, and Ice-T, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, that's a kick-ass song. It's it a is. Great song. And a and a great, <laughs> a great dumb-ass movie that I love <laughs> with all my heart. <laughs> Trick question. Lemmy is God. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, Little Red Man features Lemmy from Motorhead. It's it's a slow, heavy grooving track. You know, of all of the songs on this album, Lemmy fits this one's vibe well because it's a very heavy song. Totally. And uh, I've got a funny little story about Bicycle Wheels. Um, Bicycle Wheels. On the wings of steel. Bang, dang, dang. Bicycle Wheels was once described to me by my cousin as the porno song. As it sounds like porn music to him. Oh, because it's got the wah, the, the yeah. wah with the, the wiki. The wiki it's like a wiki, they call it the wiki wiki wah, don't yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, and this is a totally different kind of song from Ugly Kid Joe, but part of the reason I love them so much is their ability to throw curveballs like this at me. Yeah. And it's, and it's almost like, um, it's, it's almost like if Mr. Bungle had any chance of mainstream appeal, Ugly Kid Joe would probably be one of the contenders for that. Like... <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's a strange little connection that these two bands have that no one 
not even the bands have thought of that I've only just just come across. Um, And then you've got the song Father. um, Has a cool bass line going throughout while, you know, everyone kind of vibes around Cordell Crockett's bass line. Um, There's some creepy vocals in there too, which is cool. And then the song has a really cool um, vibey, grungy section about two minutes in that really does remind me of um, Cora-era Stone Temple Pilots, you know, where mm-hmm. it just really opens up. And it's, I, I, love, I love shit like that. The 90s, you know, when I go to the 90s for that kind of sound, that is exactly what I want. So, um, yeah. It's, a, it's to, impor- um, important to point out, though, this particular album, they were no longer on a major label. Um, and they, for the most part, recorded it on their own. It's, I, I, I saw an interview with Whitfield where he talked about how they recorded a lot of it in their houses. Like two of the members had studios in their houses and they did a lot of it because I guess at that point, home dude was doing, um, record, he was, you know, recording bands. And so, um, but it, but that being said, it sounds good. Like I'll, I'll get to, I'll get to this album, but man, it's, it has a great sound to it. Oh, definitely. You know, for for a for a self produced thing, they did a great job with it, and uh, you know, it's it's going on to the next track, Undertow. It's another of this album's chill moments, and stands next to Would You Like to Be There f- for me. And, you know, it has that similar chilled out but still rocking kind of vibe, and it. I feel like on this album, um, that's that's something that stands out to me about this record is, is the chill parts are really well done. Yeah. And, um, then you've got shine shine is a post grunge song. It It's good, but it, it doesn't stand out to me too much. Um, and then you've got strange, which plods along with this chunky riff before changing into another gnarly, nasty breakdown riff about halfway through. You know, I, I love that part where it, it all drops out and it's say. And it has that kind of yeah. like like it sounds a little bit off but in the in the right way you know it's a, it's a little bit unsettling but it really you know goes into it with that and then finally the album closes out on this really chill song called 12 cents which you know it's a pretty track really reminiscent of something like planet caravan and you know especially with those wavy kind of vocals and then a flute and then a flute comes in and adds to this awesome somber atmosphere to close out the record but there's a bonus track and there's this cool little hidden world music piece at the end which you know kind of it's kind of like the full stop on we really experimented on this record and yeah. you know we've got a little extra space to play with so why the fuck not and um you know i i like this record for that reason but um again the three records above it just beat it out solely based on their quality so yeah cool right on all right so so no my number 4 is not the same as yours <laughs> oh Um, but I have to, I have to say that like the numbering of these, the, the, there's pockets of albums where the order of them, of, of each one of these little sections, um, six and five, four and three, and then two and one, those, the groupings of those albums, it was very hard to figure out where to put them, but 
in the end, I put Menace to Sobriety from 1995 at what? number four, which <laughs> is... Um, now, remember, we're talking about, like I, I said, like the last two albums I talked about are like 10 and 9, and then we skip all the way to 4, 3, 2, 1. Like, the, you're getting into shit that I love. Like, I just love these albums. Yeah. And, like, when we do these episodes, we have to pick them apart. Um, so so this one, it's we, it's a weird album because it's it's the first one with the lineup that has now lasted until present day. They started in 95 or maybe 94. I don't really remember, but 95 was the first album with this lineup, which um, fun little tidbit. If you're interested, the uh, the drummer um, used to be in a band called Wrathchild America. And I just did a bands you should know video on that band. So yeah. um, it's a little a little connection for people that they want to go watch my my YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shannon Larkin is his name. He now he also drums for Godsmack now as well. Bad badass drummer. Yeah. Um. So so this album is it's ninety five. So grunge has already taken over, and by some accounts is already on the way out. Yeah. Um. So it's a weird time to put out an album like this because. At least overall, it has a much heavier vibe than I think any other Ugly Kid Joe album overall. And if we want to, I'll go ahead and throw it out there. The reason why it ended up at number four is it has the worst production of any Ugly Kid Joe release, in my opinion. The drum sound is atrocious on this album and it bothers me so much because it would otherwise be really great, but it's got the production is so compressed that it, I don't know. I I guess it was around the time that bands were releasing albums like that. It was a, you were, we were getting rid of the reverb and the reverb was bad now. And, and (laughs) this album just suffers, but the fact that it's, it was on a major label and it was produced by that guy who I'm assuming his name is pronounced Guga Garth, um, or Gigi (laughs) Garth. I don't, I don't know, but he's produced a lot of shit, but I just, overall the production of this album really drags it down for me. Um, and on top of that, the, uh, what do you, what what's the word I would use the 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 track order of this album is a bit of a mystery to me because it starts off so you're they're coming out of 1992 America's least wanted they it was a hit album for them they had but they had all these different things going on on that album where sure it was a popular album but I think the biggest track off that album was the cover of uh of of what's the fucking song? Why am I spacing right now? Um, Cats in the Cradle. Um, that yeah. was like the biggest hit off of that album. And so they 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 were known as this fun loving kind of goofy all over the place kind of band. And then their next album in '95 starts off with three, well, t- technically four tracks of really stone faced heavy stuff. Like even lyrically, yeah. even lyrically, there's no goofiness lyrically in it. And and it's not necessarily what anyone expected. And so I think that might be part of the reason why this album didn't do that well. Because it's it's almost like you expect this one thing and you right off the gate, it's all like, no, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> and so <laughs> but it, but you you find out later that they actually do. 
Um, but so I, I think that, that the good parts of it is that it, it does, it is more of a focused album, I guess, than America's least wanted. So really going from that to this, they, they did, they did have kind of a cohesive thing, I think with this particular album. And, um, really once you get to the song C-U-S-T, the album all of a sudden opens up and starts feeling a little more like an Ugly Kid Joe album. And and then all of a sudden it doesn't make the cover art and title feel so awkward because it's all like, menace to <laughs> sobriety, here's this kind of funny cover, but no, we're serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, maybe that, but maybe that just adds to the oddity of Ugly Kid Joe where they're like, we don't play by the rules and we're not going to give you what you think you're going to get. Um, yeah. But there's, there's a lot of really good songs on this album. So even though it seems like I'm shitting on it, I'm really not. Um, it just starts <laughs> off more, like I said, the best, the best word to use is stone faced. It seems very serious in the beginning. And then, uh, you know, like I said, C-U-S-T and then Milkman's son, which is an incredibly catchy song. Um, and the, the first, and maybe only single in the U S that they released. I don't know if they released another single from this album. Um, but the scope opens up, it starts feeling a lot more relaxed and, and a little bit more varied. Um, and it's just one of those things where there's great performances. Whitfield sounds amazing. I'll say that on every album. Um, and the, the songs are good. The, the production leaves a little bit to be desired, but if I'm trying to put my finger on why the album didn't do well, I really do think that a lot of the push with Ugly Kid Joe was shows like Headbangers Ball. And in 1995, Headbangers Ball was gone. And so yeah. the video for Milkman's Son, I don't remember ever seeing it on MTV. So I mm. almost feel like all of a sudden, these guys who didn't fit in anywhere all of a sudden were suffering from the fact that they didn't fit in anywhere because things, things became so like, I'm into grunge. No, I'm into hip hop. No, I'm into, it was, it was, it was almost like if you were a band that was odd, there wasn't a place for you anymore. Um, and so I feel like, especially in the U S so I'm talking strictly in the U S because I do know that this album debuted at number two in the UK on the rock charts and was actually successful in the UK. But over here, it wasn't. And it's just one of those things where the, the mid-90s were weird. And the mid-90s, were yeah. kind, they were kind of unfair to a lot of bands. And I think in this particular case, um, they, it wa they were unfair to Ugly Kid Joe. This album should have done a lot better because it's a very strong album. And I'll say it again, like I said, with Stairway to Hell, if there had been better production on this album, it may have been higher up for me. And maybe if they had, if they had tweaked the track order a little bit because overall it's got a lot of fucking standout tracks and it is really good. This is, you know, yeah. if, if somebody starts off their ugly kid Joe journey with this album, I would not say anything about it. I'd be like, that's great. That's a great album. Do it. Um, cool. So yeah, there you go. My number four minutes to sobriety. Okay. So my, um, let me preface this part with, it turns out we've got quite different, uh, lists because, um, you know, obviously, our first two were kind of were swapped around, and then my four was Motel California, and yours was Menace to Sobriety. So my number three. Now, my 
bottom three were much easier than my top three because you know as you know i love this band and i love all their albums for different reasons but um for this one for number three i've gone with 1991 ep as ugly as they want to be wow never mind i didn't i didn't Uh, know what you were putting here (laughs) yeah it's it's um you know i did some thinking and um i came to a conclusion that you know, in my top three, I've got two LPs and an EP. And, the, you know, it was sheer quantity that, you know, bumped the other two up. Um, you know, the combination of quality and quantity, in my opinion, that the two albums above it have. So um, As Ugly As They Want To Be came out in 1991. So, you know, it's still got a little bit of 80s leftover. Still got that um, reverb um drum kind of production things are still very big um nevertheless it still shows a variety of influences you know that their blend of badass funky hard rock with a surfy grunge rock mentality perfectly captures the early 90s vibe and uh you know this this um is home to my favorite song of all time everything about you so uh let's get into a track by track so, um, I'd like to note as well, uh, the songs Madman and, um, everything about you are also on, um, America's least wanted, but uh, we, we will, yeah, we will talk about that. <laughs> we will, we will get to that bad boy. So, um, yeah. So Madman comes right out of the gate with a bang, you know, quite literally, you know, it's a gunshot fired into a crowd <laughs> and then it sets off this badass funk metal track about some madman on a rampage at Disneyland, you know, and it's, and it's this maniacal barrage of party vibes without the pomp and ceremony of the eighties glam metal scene. So it's kind of like, yeah, we're partying and having a good time, but we're not, you know, frilling up our hair and doing our makeup. We're just drinking, you know, (laughs) it's, it's very much that more straightforward kind of, um, approach. And it's followed up uh, with the love letter to alcohol and partying with Plash Liquor. You know, it's an irresistible party anthem that, you know, puts me in the best of moods. And it's even got that line, we ain't glam and we ain't thrash yep. in there, which perfectly sums them up, really, because they, they're just a mix of everything. And um, then it's followed up on track three with Too Bad. Now, Too Bad is probably the most 80s of the tracks here. It's got an ACDC kind of vibe in the intro before going kind of full-on glam mode with the riff. You know, I, I tried to decide whether or not Too Bad was too long. <laughs> See what I did there. <laughs> but um, ultimately decided, nah, it's awesome. It, it does warrant its length. It is. And, a, um, it is. It is. It, this is a funny time to point out because you do bring up the fact that some of the riffs feel like they could be glam riffs. That they're yeah. that the band's name came from them poking fun at Pretty Boy Floyd, who were a full-on yeah. glam band, makeup and <laughs> hair and everything. And they apparently were supposed to play a show with them, but they dropped out at the last minute, but they had decided to name themselves Ugly Kid Joe anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> so it is funny because if you take, especially when you're talking about Madman, how it does have a party vibe to it, but they their spin on it was like the lyrics are, you know, grim, <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, they're not like super grim, but it's almost like a like a happy-go-lucky take on something awful. 
<laughs> that would be <laughs> happening. So yeah, it sets up the mood for what this band is right away. Oh, for sure. And then you've got the legendary fourth track, which wins the gold medal for being officially Eddie Sparks's favorite song of all time. All right. No, no song ever written, not even anything on Angel Dust makes me feel <laughs> quite as good as this song does. I'm actually with I you. Like to- it, it, it's not my favorite song of all time, but it is, it's gotta be in my top 20, maybe, maybe 10. Yeah. It is, it is one of those songs yeah. that, that it just feels great when you listen to it. Definitely. And I like to think that this song is my personality rolled up into a four minute track, <laughs> you know, it's it's big and fun, but grungy, sarcastic, satirical, and awesome. And you know, I first heard it in my favorite movie, Wayne's World. Also, and one I'm of actually, my favorite movies. Yeah, I'm I'm actually wearing a Wayne stock shirt. Holy shit! Right now. Where'd you get that? Uh, uh, my girlfriend got it for me as a uh, birthday present. I'll have, to, pretty cool. I'll have to look that up and get myself one too. So you guys can't see he's wearing a Wayne stock T-shirt, like it, from Wayne's World Two. Which, which I like that even more because people uh, don't give enough love to Wayne's World 2. I agree it is not as good Wayne's as the first one, but it is good in its own right. I feel like, um, you know, I, hang on, hang on. I got to do, I have to do, right, whenever Wayne's World comes up in conversation with my friends, I have to do this. Okay. I'm going to do, do, do the monologue about the... Um, Little sweet shop on the edge of town. Oh shit! I love that. <laughs> Do it. I want right. to. I want to hear it because right. usually let, let, it's me doing a really bad British accent. So now it'll be legit. <laughs> right. Okay. Let me let me get in the zone. Let me get in the zone. <laughs> and action. I was in a place like this once, Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon. We were looking for ten thousand brown M and M's to fill a brandy glass. Or Aussie wouldn't go on stage that night. <laughs> so, Jeff Beck pops his head round the door and mentions there's a little sweet shop on the edge of town. So, we go. And it's closed. So there's me, Keith Moon and David Crosby breaking into this little sweet shop, right? Well, instead of a guard dog, they've got this bloody great big Bengal tiger. <laughs> I managed to take out the tiger with a can of mace. But the shop owner and his son... That was a different story altogether. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. <laughs> yes. Applause, everybody. Nasty, nasty business, really. But sure enough, I got the M&Ms and Aussie went on stage and did a great show. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking great. I, that is how many times I have seen that movie. Oh, I've seen it a lot, too. <laughs> My favorite line from that movie is the uh, um, cross the T's and dot the... Lowercase J's. <laughs> Genius. All right, enough movies. of that. That's the Wayne's World portion of our of our podcast, folks. <laughs> Hell yeah. So yeah, just going back to everything about you, I first heard it in Wayne's World when, um, you know, Phil, you're partied out, man, again. What if he honks in the car? <laughs> that scene there where they, ha- where they get him into the donut shop. Um, yep. It's on in the background, and I always heard it, and I was like, that's pretty catchy, but, like, I never knew what it was. And then one day, uh, it was, like, a top 100 90s rock songs, and by some chance, I caught it 
on um, Kerrang! TV and they were playing it and um, I came across the video for um, Ugly Kid Joe's Everything About You and I was glued to the TV. I was like, yeah. this is that fucking song. This is that Wayne's World song that I like. And, and then it snowballed from there and I just discovered that they have this entire discography of excellent music and you know I, funny enough that song is not on the wayne's world soundtrack yeah which always weirded me out too you know because i've got yeah. the wayne's world soundtrack and there's a couple songs in the movie that aren't on the disc and that, and that always bugged me that always that always yeah. wound me up a little bit <laughs> but yeah um i fell in love with this song and every single time i hear it i'm reminded of who i am and the music i love and it just puts me in a really positive mindset of, you know what? Fuck yeah. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. And then track five, which is technically two songs, uh, Sweet Leaf slash Funky Fresh Country Club. Uh, this is my favorite version of Sweet Leaf. Now, I, yeah. know, I know they don't play the full thing, but I love what they did with it and how it sounds. And that, that whole song is the riff to me i don't care about the solo part it's just that groove and also also the 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 way it leads into the second part of the song which is all of a sudden not a cover yeah is is very cool because it does that down down it's like i was like oh that's fucking great that's like don't even don't even bother to finish the song we're going into something else hell yeah and and like this um song funky fresh country club you know, it's one of the best funk metal songs I've ever heard. You know, Cordell Crockett's bass playing on here is insane. Finally, um, you know, the album closes out with the um, 25 second track, Heavy Metal. And um, I have a funny little story about this little song. I once bet my mum five pounds that I couldn't fit in one more song before she found a parking spot in a car park that we were in and she was like well there's no way that you're going to be able to fit in one more song you know there's a parking spot right at the end of this road and i was like eh, i don't know how much money do you want to put on it foolishly she said five pounds oh, i put shit. this on and i hustled her i hustled that lady and i got it i would five i would have gone i would have gone for you suffer by napalm death <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet you i can play a song 20 times before, <laughs> before you park you know, now that you come to mention that, I could have made a killing. Really missed the boat on that one. <laughs> yeah, um, which which the 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 quote unquote heavy metal like it's it, on the original album. It's not even listed. It's an extra track. It's like a yeah. It's a something you didn't quite expect, and it's it's all. It all I always thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, it, and again, it's that like not taking it seriously element to Ugly Kid Joe that you know really shines on these first two releases. Yeah. Totally agree. But yeah, that is my number three. Awesome. Well, my number three um, is uh, Motel California from 1996. So, nice. um, yeah, so this was this was a rough one because just just comparing it to Minister Sobriety because they were, you know, they were two years apart from each other and they kind of, to me, they're kind of the second phase of the band. And, um, this one overall, just the fact that the production, like I spoke about before, the production on this album is so good. The performances are so fucking tight. They just sound like a well-oiled machine on this album. And 
Also, um, the fact that it starts off sounding more like an Ugly Kid Joe album than Menace to Sobriety does with It's a Lie. It's a great starter to the album. And overall, the vibe on this album is much lighter than Menace to Sobriety. I can um, see that. There, yeah. There's still a lot of riffs and a lot of energy to it, but it doesn't seem like it takes itself as seriously as parts of Menace to Sobriety do. Um, and it's, there's a way more of an emphasis on the groove on this one. And I just, I love the way it feels good when, when certain bands are able to lock in and hit the fucking groove right, right. I don't know. It's like hitting it right on the one, right? Exactly where it needs to be every time with their starts and their stops and the transitions. It just feels good. It's like, it's, you just don't ever want it to end when the groove is going that good. Um, and so there's great songwriting on here. Well, we already talked about Sandwich. I love Sandwich. <laughs> um, and then uh, uh, I really do think that this album as a whole should have been more popular even than Minister Sobriety. I feel like in 1997, I feel like this album kind of fit in a little bit better somehow. But yeah. Somehow, I guess it didn't, because over here, the only reason I knew this album came out was because I worked at Best Buy in the record department or the music department, and we got the CDs in there. And I was like, oh, Ugly Kid Joe has another album. Other than that, I didn't see any promotion, didn't hear shit on the radio, didn't see shit on MTV. Um, MTV, by that point, was on its way out, like 95 or 97 or 96. Yeah, 96. Um, 96 was like... I mean, I don't even know if I watched MTV anymore at that point. It, it, it had pretty much become a thing that was all shows that I, I wasn't interested in anymore, and there was no Headbangers Ball. So who who fucking cares at that point? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, this is the, the last of the great Ugly Kid Joe albums, in my opinion, when they had this sense of adventurousness, and and there's like an... The thing that I like about the first four releases is that there is... A, there's a don't give a fuck attitude, but it's almost like an effortless don't give a fuck attitude. Because yeah. you you know there are there are some bands and individuals that you may know in your life that want to come across like they don't give a fuck, but you can tell they're trying really hard to yeah. let you know that they don't <laughs> give a fuck. Ugly Kid Joe were not that band. They were they. It just seemed like that's in their nature that they're just like yeah whatever what you know we're uh, we're a leaf in a stream wherever <laughs> wherever it takes us is where we're gonna. Go. Yeah. And so I missed that from the band a little bit. Um, and then obviously, you know, after this album came out, they broke up in 97. Um, and then there was a 16 year gap. But really, just when I listened to, and I, I ended up having to listen to this album and Menace to Sobriety back to back. And I did it backwards. So I listened to this one first. And once this one ended and the beginning of Menace to Sobriety kicked in, the production style on that album immediately made me go, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's that's what really sealed the deal for me, even though like I do kind of, I almost hold these albums kind of together, even though it's almost like two different, different air, uh, like on a, what do you call those, like a two-sided scale. Each one has the most weight, even though it's filled in with different kinds of things. Yeah. So I feel like they are almost equals but the fact that sonically I enjoy this album more, it ended up here at number three, 
Motel, California. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Texas, man. It's 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 getting to you. <laughs> I don't ever sound like that. I am not. I, I am not a Southern man. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming on down to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was great. Well, I think probably my favorite thing is 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 uh, British people doing Texas accents. I think that's my <laughs> that's my favorite thing. There's a, there's a great there's a great um, Eddie Izzard bit where he talks about coming to America and he does the impression of the guy going talk talk British to my kids. <laughs> Brilliant. And he ends up saying all these kids' names, and one of them is Big Fishy Bob. Come here, Big Fishy Bob. <laughs> anyway, Eddie Izzard, love him. Awesome. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so now it is, we're on to the big two for you, sir. Okay, so now my number two, now I'm going I'm to, I'm going to, I've got a controversial opinion here. Right. Perhaps it's not that controversial in context, but... Okay, back to the drum roll. And the award for most underrated album in history goes to Menace to Sobriety. Hey! I actually, you know, regardless of the production issues, I think the songs on here fucking bop. You know, this, this album, it is a tad more serious, but that, you know, Ugly Kid Joe's humor starts to show later in the album and... I yeah. suppose I suppose if like you're kind of getting into Ugly Kid Joe, I can see how like the first few tracks might you know set a false kind of standard, but you know I feel like that it's a fucking travesty that this isn't on Spotify because so many people could hear this album so much easier because I don't think is it even... is it not because it's on Apple Music why is it not on Spotify is it not on Spotify it's not on Spotify I and it's, it's I, interesting. I, I remember it not being on iTunes either, uh, but that could be a that could be a regional thing. I'm not I'm not sure, but oh, um, that sucks. Yeah, it, it it does suck because you know Motel California and and um, I I also think as ugly as they want to be isn't on there either. But I know America's least wanted, Motel California, and their two latest works are on there. But you know okay. I feel like I feel like this album. It deserves much more recognition. You know, thankfully I own the CD, but so many people are missing out on this record. And you know, I do. I do. Now that you've highlighted the drum sound, yeah, I I get that. Um, but you know, the the intro leading into God, you know, it's it's heavy as a pair of concrete balls, dude. You know, it, <laughs> you know, it, it showcases a, a heavier band than the one on America's Least Wanted. You know, obviously you've also got a different lineup as well yeah. so pe- people are bringing in a, a bit heavier of an influence i guess um tomorrow's world uh is a slow grooving heavy track that you know kind of boils over menacingly in the verses and then explodes in the choruses and that's a real groover i love that song um clover one of my favorite tracks on the record uh badass from start to finish and you know even has a double kick section you know which you know to my 14 year old ass was like holy shit ugly kid joe did double kick this is the coolest (laughs) fucking thing you know is it you know i I feel like every 14 year old metal kid has that double kick obsession that you know (laughs) well they're like i I never did but i don't know i don't don't know what was wrong with me (laughs) that 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 might be a that might be a modern metal thing that might be a that might be a new new generation kind of 
kind of confounding, gosh darn kind of. I think really, I think my my double kick obsession probably, if there was one, it would be you know surrounding songs like Dyer's Eve, you know from Metallica, you know songs where you can literally hear. I guess and one because the one's got the double double kick. Never mind. I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool. So I guess when double kick is used in an interesting way, when it's not just full on non-stop double kick i do enjoy it yeah i remember you saying in that um trivium track that when the modern metal bands always bring in those double kick runs it kind of loses momentum and i can see where you're coming from with that it's the same thing with bringing in a blast beat we've talked about this before like sometimes (laughs) they bring in a blast beat and it's totally unnecessary and just sort of ruins the 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 momentum of the song although i guess for for younger people that want things to be brutal all the time i guess it <laughs> i guess it works out but yeah and I, 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 we're not going to go off on that tangent again no worries uh yeah and then i move on to uh can't you see them um which is <laughs> you know it it's spelt c-u-s-t i used to call it cust um it's a funky one with a kick-ass world music rhythm section in the bridge um, you know, that was kind of a precursor to the kind of experimentation they do on the following record. Um, and you know, the riffage on this track, you know, a, a lot of these songs on here, the riffs are mwah, chef's kiss, <laughs> you know, so fucking good. Um, Milkman's son is a tune should have been way bigger, super catchy, you yeah. know, and a great song. Um, then sucker path has a hilarious intro, you know, I'm the lead singer, I'm yeah. the man, <laughs> you know, that part, and it's, it's got a badass riff, if there's one thing Ugly Kid Joe knows, it's a good riff, and um, yeah, and then all of a sudden they hit you with Cloudy Skies, which is a, you know, quite a moving ballad with a with a country edge to it it's a little bit it's a great song too that's a very and it's one of those one another one of those moments where they they hit you in the feels and you're not expecting it yeah this is this is one of those um crying at the bar kind of tracks you're like yeah (laughs) it's like it it really is just one of those like i love you man kind of songs (laughs) (laughs) and then um jesus wrote a harley you know it's goofy but again the riffs and the vibe of Ugly Kid Joe make that totally okay because this is where their humor really shows. Um, you know, Moses used to sniff the lines. Noah used to rack the boats of time. You know, those yeah. kind of like piss take kind of vocals. But well, I, I, I also, really it, enjoy that. It's a good time to point out that I do, I think that their humor, the great thing about it is that it's, maybe I already said this, but they're not pretentious with their humor. Yeah. Like their humor is almost like an every man's humor. Like everyone come in. Like you don't you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out this joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it is all laid out right there for you. Everyone can enjoy, you know. Yeah, they're all just super down to earth dudes and I, and I think that that really, you know, shines in the band's music. And yeah. then you've and then you've got something like uh 10 out of 10 which oh you know, that's a fucking that's a ripper right there that's a great fucking riff and you know it's it's a little repetitive but god damn i don't care if it goes on forever it grooves that fucking hard i love yeah, this song I and agree. then um you know big time underappreciated deep cut of a song and and that cool like vibey section in the middle um as well you know again has that kind of world music kind of vibe to it and um 
Then you get VIP, which is another funky boy, and Whip breaks out his inner rapper once more in the vocals in this one. <laughs> He's spitting out rhymes. And then you've got Oompa, which is a hilarious parody of goofy evil metal band tropes using the backdrop of Oompa Loompa-style lyrics over the this heavy doom metal riff. And then, you know, it's... it's I just love the umpa lumpa dumpity do. <laughs> just the fact that they managed to put that on a metal album is yeah. just it's just ace. You know, I, that I, song actually. I, I have the cassette version of this album, and it comes at the end of side one. Yeah, I, oompa loompa is is it's an, it's weird. It's kind of a funny ending to the first side. <laughs> it's just such a it's such a weird but perfectly them song, and it's yeah. Um, then you get Candle Song, which is the most chill song on the album. And, you know, hearing it after Umpa really accentuates that. Me personally, I don't know if you've heard this version, but I prefer the piano version from the 2002 compilation, The Collection. Uh, it's got Dave Fortman on um, vocals, but... Um, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, if I remember right... That's the one that's on the Milkman's Son 12-inch single. It actually yeah. has that version of it, um, along with like a demo. I think it's a demo for Sucker Path that's on that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, heard, I've heard that version, and it's, it's also good. Yeah, and then I think you know on the American version, if I'm correct, that track closes the record, but... Yeah. Um, on the European version, hey, <laughs> always side getting extra pond. shit, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, us and the Japanese are winning it on uh, bonus tracks over here, dude. Um, but yeah, it's it's that um, we get one more track, slower than nowhere. You know, I really enjoy that track. I love its descending chord progression, and I, I know people always say. It sounds like Green Day, but like I turn around and say, "Bitch, th th this song is better than Green Day." This to me feels like a final credits kind of song, and it's one of the best opening tracks for me because it kind of goes out on a kind of dreamy note, and it does feel like a it, it feels like an end credits kind of song, and I feel like that's the that's the way to end an album if you can make an ending track feel like a credits. That's, oh, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I feel like, you know, coming at it from that kind of um, approach is really cool. Totally. But yeah, um, you know, it's, it's a, it ends the album on both a rockin' and chill note, and I'm going to pass it over to you for your All number right. two. So just like with the other two, these two albums at two and one were very hard for me to pick their spot. Um. But in the end, I have to go with my number two being As Ugly As They Want To Be from 1991. Hey. Um, <clears throat> because, um, well, I'll get into it. So just like you, I got into this band because of the song Everything About You. But, this, but my introduction was back in 1991. And it was basically seeing the music video on MTV and then the following weekend going to the record store and buying this EP on cassette. And it is one of those things where I hold it. I did a, uh, a, a video on my channel about my favorite EPs of all time. And that's one of the ones I included because it is, it's just 
there's no skippable song on this EP. It is just a tightly packed, incredible collection of songs. It's always entertaining to listen to. And also, um, just as a fun fact, it is it was the first platinum-selling EP ever released. So yeah. it was a big deal when it came out. And um, as we always talk about with the uh, that early 90s production, I fucking love the way this EP sounds. It is so good. It's right on the nose with the mix is great. It's still got the the uh the all of the reverb going on it's got the big drum sound but everything sounds clear but at the same time also heavy and it's just one of those things where it's just a fun energetic blast of a good time and it just leaves you wanting more when it's over it is it is the the epitome of something you listen to and then immediately start it over from the beginning once it ends because it's it's just that that much fun and really when this came out it it it's it hit a nerve for me because it was almost like it felt like it was music made by kids that weren't considered the cool kids. Yeah. Like these these were the outcasts, um, the misfits, and and that's how I felt at the time. I felt like a person that didn't quite fit in, and these dudes didn't, and their music didn't either. You know, the you it's the sort of thing that somebody who's into metal could get into and somebody that's into alternative rock could get into. Um, somebody that's into more of the funk metal thing that was going on, they could easily get into it. But at the same time, it didn't really seem to fit in any of those camps. Um, and it was it was absolutely perfect for me at the time. So they literally nailed it. They nailed it with their first release, in my opinion. And um Every member of the band, I'll, I'll, once again, Whitfield sounds amazing. I'm gonna say that every time. Yeah. But um, it 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 ended up being number two, and the reasoning behind it, I, I will explain when I get to my number one. But uh, it's an amazing EP, and it's really tough to put it at number two. But that's that's where it fell for me. So that's my number two. Um, and so. That does that. That means we have the same number one, right? It's one of one of our one of our famous number one number one doubles. I love it when this happens. I love Hell it yeah. when a plan comes together. <laughs> cool. So, uh, America's least wanted. Uh, I suppose the best way for me to start this is with my first note. Classic record from start to finish. It is banger central. You know. Um, neighbor marries grunge and good time hard rock perfectly it's sleazy and it both knows and loves that um you know goddamn devil is an ode to the devil's music you know a, a satiri- <laughs> it's a satirical track kind of parodying the you know um outcry against metal in the 80s and 70s and stuff and Come Tomorrow is a chilled out bluesy groover. Really love that song. It's got such a great vibe to it. Then Panhandling Prince, badassery from start to finish, especially that breakdown riff at the end. Um, you know, Panhandling Prince is a is a one of those songs that it almost kind of tricks you because you you aren't necessarily ready for how good it's going to be. Like it doesn't start off with the promise that it ends up delivering with. So yeah. I think that's kind of a cool thing. It's a great... Yeah, and again, it's that kind of... These riffs feel like they could be hair metal riffs, but they aren't. 
you know it, it's it's done in a dirty grungy way that's just really cool and um you know going on to the next track showing off a different softer side to the band this is another one of those feelsy moments um busy b this yeah. gorgeous ballad that seems to come out of nowhere you know after four kind of you know funny good time hard rocking songs you get busy b and this really sincere beautiful song and it's like holy shit you know these guys know what they're doing they know how to yeah. write songs and then you've got don't go again it's almost it's almost hair metal but just enough grit to be cool in 1992 and i love the um fill in the middle too that's one of, that's still one of my favorite things to play on drums is that like with that wood block yeah. it's just such a such a fun little again even their their humor extends to to the way they write parts you know that yeah. little that little wood block didn't need to be in there but it's it's fun and then it's followed up by the heaviest track on the record so damn cool yeah and i fucking love this song and to know, me that's like that has a riff that could be on a grunge album yeah you know it hadn't come out yet you know it almost has like a completely different tone to the rest of the album but yet still f- has its place you know it's, and it's it, you know it's tuned down lower than all of yeah. the other songs you know because when you get to it it's like dun 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 and that that solo on it as well good god like they just rip on this song i do i do also really like the way that song opens up in the midsection with the who knows once that yeah. part comes in it's almost like the song is very sort of heavy and and um almost like just one not one note but it's just one vibe that keeps going even in the choruses and then all of a sudden in the midsection it really opens up and it's kind of cool yeah, there's something to be said for the early 90s and like vibey moments, you know, the core by Stone Temple Pilots being like a glaring example of that, where they have this yeah. kind of like thing where it just really opens up and it's almost like this like other world you're introduced to. And that's, yeah. some, that's something I've always loved about this era of music is that they they know how to write music that takes you to a place. And also, I do think that the idea of the midsection you know, a middle eight or or a middle section that differs from the rest of the song. I feel like with popular music, that's a thing that's gone. Yeah. Like, like I don't, I don't think I hear. I mean, I don't listen to a lot of popular music anymore, but I do hear songs here and there. You know, my daughter listens to things that would be considered more popular these days, and I don't ever hear that. I don't ever hear. A, a, I love a good middle eight, and and yeah. it just it's the thing that doesn't happen anymore and and especially in the 90s you listen to a lot of songs and there'll be really odd parts that happen in the middle of songs that nowadays i think they'd be like you need to cut that out but yeah. the fact that the fact that those parts were allowed to live and and were popular songs not only that songs could be 6 minutes long and be hit singles back then too in the 90s but um yeah memories <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but then you get Same Side. It indulges that funk metal style popular around that era. You know, they yeah. do a great job of it. Then you get hit with the cover of Cats in the Cradle, which, you know, takes the original and t- to me, in my own personal opinion, improves on it. 
you know, the original is great, but this adds so much more power. And the sitar sound is awesome. Always love a sitar. And that power chord section at 220 is badass. That da da dang dang like yeah. part again where you say where it really opens up you know it just gives such a such another level to the song also it's it's a it's one of the things that i think i read somewhere that in somebody's negative review of the album they talked about how um they covered that song without a hint of irony or something and i was yeah. like well i think i think that was the point is that they were doing a cover of that song and they're the kind of band that's like, we're just doing a straight, our own version of it. We're not taking the piss out of it. We're, yeah. we're just doing our version of this song. Does it fit in? No, but once again, that's us, you know? <laughs> exactly, you know? And I feel like, um, again, when it comes to Ugly Kid Joe, even on the serious tracks, you, sh- you shouldn't take it too seriously because it, at the end of the day, all they want to do is have a good time and all you want to do is have a good time, you know? Agreed. And um, on that good time note, I think, you know how I always say there's like a, a strip strip club riff? You know, that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll Keep Trying is the hair metal stripper track on this all record. Right. Yeah, all rec- I can hear all that. Records, all records need one. That kind of stompy, <laughs> like, dank, 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 kind of... It's Strut, like it's like the kind of thing. The record mogul comes into the room and's like, "Your album's sounding great, kids, but the real question is, where's the song that the adult dancers are gonna be able to strip to? We need one of those <laughs> on this album." And I approach everything I write with that mindset. Where's the <laughs> booty shaking part? <laughs> but yeah, um, and then we we get some. We get some familiar faces. Um, oh, hang on. Sorry, I forgot to mention the final minute of this song with that. Oh, yeah. Like kind of odd time signature bit with the vibey guitar over the top of it. That re- that part of the song has always reminded me of a level from this video game I used to play when I was a kid. And it was called Taz Wanted. And you played as the Tasmanian <laughs> devil from okay. um, Looney Tunes. And um, basically, there's a bunch of like really elaborately placed wanted posters because you've escaped from a zoo. And they're all like, you know, ridiculously um, elaborate. And it's kind of like, yeah, it, it's a quite a satisfying game to play because there's a lot of um, problem solving involved. But I remember there's one particular level where the music sounds like that perhaps not with the same instrumentation but that <laughs> i guess it sounds a little bit like something that'd be on an old school video game yeah and it's it, i'm just trying to place it i'll have to go back through and play that entire game to find out where that is but uh, i will get back to you on that one and then we get some familiar faces with a couple of you know remixes of the songs Everything About You and Madman, which appear as tracks 11 and 12, respectively, um, with a few changes. Um, the funny voice at the beginning of Everything About You, which goes, Are you the guys on the beach who hate everything? <laughs> That's a good one. And then, um, thank you. So, wait, then, so you, you know who that is, right? Is that... Wait, who is that? That's Julia Sweeney, 
who was no on the way. that her doing her It's Pat character from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> no way. There's, That's um, what it is. Which which brings up a question, but the fact that you didn't know who she was, then you can't answer this question for me because I don't know why she's on the album. Because she's on the album three times. Her voice appears three times on the album. In the very in, in Goddamn Devil, she says, yep. turn off that devil, that devil music. music. And yep. then two times in Everything About You, where she does the Pat thing, and then a little bit later she does the thing where she says, like, is this some kind of hip music, music I, don't I don't understand? understand. So there's a part of me that's like, was she dating somebody in the band? Because she's even in the video for Neighbor as her It's Pat character. Like no she's, Yeah, the, the, if you see, okay, so the character Pat was from a sketch on Saturday Night Live where it was an ambiguous uh person that you didn't know if it was a man or a woman and the sketches the sketches were always the people around that person trying to ask questions to find out if they were a man or a woman oh is that that the one looking out of the window yeah so that's yeah so that's julia sweeney dressed up as pat and so it's i've always just been like she had to have been dating somebody in the band because why would she be (laughs) in the video on two different songs it's just one of those mysteries where I just I want one day I want to interview those guys and and just ask like what what was that and why <laughs> you know <laughs> anyway sorry to inter, inter, interject there but it it could just be down to um their kind of taking the piss humor yeah it could could just be not giving a shit <laughs> I mean I guess it makes sense I mean their first you know everything about you was on Wayne's World which came from a Saturday Night Live sketch so maybe there's a connection there somehow. I would hazard a guess that that is that is very possible. Yeah, one hundred percent. And then finally, the album closes out on a chilled out acoustic song called "Mr. Record Man," which you know, the first time I heard it, I was like, "I'm sure I've heard this before, and I've heard it in something," because it's so catchy. But I've yeah. never been able to tell what it's from or where I've heard it elsewhere. But yeah, I heard it there, so I don't know. Yeah, it's it's one of those weird things where, like, I'm sure I've heard it somewhere else, but it's probably just my mind playing tricks on me. But probably um, you you passed up something that I want to ask you about because I you know obviously this is my number one, and we're going to get into a big love fest here in a minute. But do you find it lame that they literally? put madman on here and completely re-recorded the vocals just to take out the cuss words i did think that was um yeah yeah unnecessary that was completely unnecessary unnecessary. you know i I feel like um i suppose you know this version of madman was the first version of madman i heard oh okay i I suppose it, it don't it didn't bother me as much but i do notice it now and it has played on my mind. <laughs> yeah, when I got the album, I remember first of all thinking, "Why are these two songs on here?" But then when it got to that point, I'm like, "They literally did they just? It's an album where on the cover there's a somebody holding up a middle finger and it has a parental yeah. advisory. Yet they cut out the cuss words from Madman, and I've, I've never it's never made any sense to me. But yeah, but that's all that's all they did. It's the the tr- the actual music is the same recording from as ugly as they want to be it, they just wit just re-recorded the vocals and i'm just yeah i don't i don't i've never understood it another question i will hopefully ask him one day 
I I always thought it was because like um in case people didn't get a chance to pick up the EP they could still get these two big songs that they'd heard. Um but that still I begs guess. the question. Yeah, I that still begs the question as though like why did they bother re-recording vocals for it? Like that um, seems Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I mean it's it's one of those things where I don't know. <laughs> Over the years, <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I don't. It doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So are you are you done with your with your half of our number one? Yeah, I just wanted to say that this is one of my favorite albums of all time. Definitely top three. Love this band. All right, and so yeah. um, yes, I have the same number one as 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 uh, America's least wanted. So this album came out in 1992. So the first thing that I'm going to say is that if you you were asking me if this is a perfect album, I would say no, it is absolutely not. Um, which is funny after coming from me talking about how as ugly as they want to be is a perfect EP because it is. <laughs> so just to give a little bit of uh, of background with me is it's it's it, uh, sometimes an album has to do the, the the way it hits you has to do with where you are in your life. And so in this album came out in September of 1992. I had just started my first year of high school, which here is is the ninth grade, which is basically that you you have four more years and then you're off to college if that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um so I was just starting high school and it was a it was one of those things where I loved as ugly as they want to be so much that this was really anticipated and I got it, you know, the weekend it came out because albums used to come out on, on Tuesdays, um, back in the day. Yeah. And I, and I'm pretty sure I didn't pick it up until the following weekend, but I remember just really enjoying it. And it's one of those things where sure it's still got, the nineties production values that I love. It's actually produced by Mark Dodson who did a couple anthrax albums that I love. And the sound is really great on this album. And the, the great thing about this album for me is that it took this band that was kind of wacky and goofy and off the wall. And it added these different dynamics to them where all of a sudden you had heavier songs, you had very soft, softer songs that were, that brought, there's, there's no sort of emotional moment on as ugly as they want to be. But if on here you get into the last half of busy B and it just, you feel something during that song. It's so well done. And so the fact that all of a sudden this band that seemed like they didn't give a fuck seemed even more like they didn't give a fuck because they were just like, we're going to do whatever the fuck kind of song we feel like doing. And it's just one of those things that um, the album did sell well over here and it had hit songs. I guess the, the hit was Cats in the Cradle. I don't think the other, I think Neighbor was like a minor hit, but I don't think it did anything great. But I feel like even though it did well for the band, I feel like it should have been bigger because I do feel like it, it hit that mark in 1992 of what people my age wanted to hear. Yeah. Even though, even though like all of us were getting into heavier music, we were all into the burgeoning grunge scene and the, and thrash metal and, and all of those things. But this album felt like it was it was speaking to me 
even even more than Nevermind by Nirvana did. This one seemed because there was more of a humor involved in it, and, and humor has always been a very important thing to me. And so, I feel like in the end, this album kind of gets dismissed by people. And well, I guess a lot of their albums get dismissed by people, which is unfortunate. Which is why I'm glad that we're doing this today. Um, but really, at first listen, you don't quite get everything that's going on in these songs. These songs have. They're, to, to quote Shrek, they're like onions, and you and you layers. peel you peel <laughs> away the layers, and um, and so on the surface, it just seems kind of like a dumb rock record from the '90s, but it's got so much going on, and it's so well done. Everybody's performances, Whitfield sounds amazing. <laughs> this, <Yeah. laughs> this, this episode is just going to be called Whitfield sounds amazing, um, but it's just great songwriting and performances and. And then on top of it, it's just the nostalgia of how it felt starting high school, feeling like I connected with this band and with this album. It feels like me. If you were going to put me into an album, I feel like this one is as close as you're going to get because it's got the heaviness. It's got the the off-the-wall different genres blending in. It's also got... And, you know some humor in it, but also it, they're good musicians and good songwriters, and they took time making an album. It wasn't just thrown out there, and so um, yeah, it, and it's it's it is nothing groundbreaking. But once again, I feel like that also feels like me. I don't feel like I stood out from the crowd at that time, but I also felt like I didn't fit in with anyone. Yeah, and this album is right there. It's it's. It's just got so much going on with it that's just it's just such an honest and fun just happening. It's just a, a thing that you just, you know, you're either you either go along with it or you don't. Like but if you do go along with it, it it feels good to listen yeah. to. Kind of kind of like what we say about everything about you, which is why for that particular song I don't mind it being on here because I like that song so much. They could have just put it on every album, and I would have been like, yeah. yeah, fine, cool." <laughs> <laughs> and I and and once again, like I I talked about "Cats in the Cradle," about how it's great that it was just a straight straight cover, and it's it's just one of those things where when I first heard the album, it was so out of left field. I'm like, "Why did they cover this?" Because they covered "Sweet Leaf" on the first one, yeah, and now they covered "Cats in the Fucking Cradle," <laughs> and just the fact that they. We're fitting into nobody's expectations, but at the same time being pretty successful with it. And the fact that they got a hit song out of this left field cover, they probably never expected it to be a hit, but it ended up being yeah. one of their biggest songs. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about just the feels of it all. And so in the end, even though I would say this is not a perfect album, it has elements here and there that I'm like, oh, that could have been better maybe but once again you with the time that has passed since 1992 to now those those flaws i guess you could say inconsistencies whatever you want to call them those have become part of the album and it and it the whole thing together is just something that i really enjoy and um so yeah i mean it's it's just a it's an important album it's a special album to me you know, because I have, a, there's a lot of albums I would consider special albums, but they're all albums that 
other people out there will talk about how great they are. This yeah. is one where I don't think there's a lot of podcasts talking about Ugly Kid Joe, and I don't think that they'll be discussing this particular album with as much um, heartfelt praise as as you and I have done. So um, it's important. So yeah, that's my number one, America's Least Wanted. Cool. And that wraps it up. I would say like my final thoughts on... Um that album you know it's 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 our number one pretty much for the same reason you know i you know i didn't really belong anywhere i didn't fit in anywhere and ugly kid joe taught me that you know that's all right because yeah you just do you and what makes you happy because at the end of the day you know that's how it should be and like the the cool thing about it is i i always like to think that you know, out of all the albums out there, you know, even Angel Dust, the, the most in tune with my personality from an album perspective is um, America's Least Wanted because it's it's just such a... It, it encapsulates everything I come to this style of music for. Yeah. All facets I, I, I guess and that's, all styles. I guess that's why, that's why we're perfectly matched for this, <laughs> for this podcast. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we summed it up right there. If you didn't, if you didn't know, now you know. It's a, a whatever you call it, a, a match made in heaven, they say. <laughs> <laughs> More ears so, yeah. need to hear this album. Agreed. agreed. So, um, so, yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for our uh, Ugly Kid Joe. We, we, we almost hit two hours with this one. Um, hopefully you stuck with us because I, I have a weird feeling that, you know, you, you do a biggie like Slayer and, uh, you know, people want to hear about Slayer cause they're a big band that a lot of people love, but yeah. I, I'll be interested to hear people's thoughts on this. Like us all yeah. of a sudden taking this turn and doing a band like ugly kid Joe, which we're going to continue to do. We're going to continue to do bigger bands with bigger discographies that have, you know, influenced millions of people but but i i think that we're also going to be talking about the the bands that were smaller and made a smaller splash in the big pond uh, because those bands are just as important to a lot of us as the biggies so um that being said that's that's all i got for this one you have any any last words any last words on ugly kid joe um just generally if if you haven't if you haven't checked them out before they really you know deserve a lot more recognition so as far as like deep cut bands go ugly kid joe is is my favorite band that i feel doesn't get nearly the recognition they deserve so uh yeah so yeah go out and buy their fucking records because they rule (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Agreed. On that note, yeah, if you if you if this is your first time hearing about this band, go out and just listen to whatever you can find. Um and then hopefully if you didn't know them, uh, hopefully we turned you on to something uh, that you that you'll love. Hell um, yeah. if if not, eh, whatever. We don't want to fuck with you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We love all of you. And so uh yeah, so that's that's the end of this uh episode of Cranked and Ranked. We'll be back uh, next week, I'm not sure what where we'll be going from here, but uh, it'll be interesting uh, to say the least. And so, on that note, Eddie, let's uh, take take us out, do the takeout time. Never mind, I'm going to stop talking and you wrap it up. <laughs> right on, later, dude.